Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 151. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and with me, as always, is David Estrella. Number 151. This is the Mew episode. <laughs> That's right, the secret extra episode. I was super excited about this one the last time we were recording. I get to invite you over uh, to the to the jungle gym to just bullshit you on some complete fabrications that I've gained from my uncle that works at Nintendo. We should start off by saying Happy New Year also to everybody. Yeah, it's 2021. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We've got uh, the same same bad world, worse in some ways, but we're, we're going to get through it together. Jeez. It really has been like five months since January 1st. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a year this week has been. Mm, the march of time goes ever onward into shit. We're really starting off the year with a whole lot of positivity here. Apologies for that, everybody. Uh, this episode, we're going to be reviewing, or I'm going to be reviewing, a really cool manga anthology called, and I hope I'm saying this right, Gleolia? Evan. It is... Language. Wait, did I say a bad word? No. <laughs> no, go on. Go on. <laughs> oh, like, oh, no, did I pronounce it wrong and accidentally say a slur on the podcast? I apologize. It's fine. We're, we're R18. We are no minors allowed. So this is a release from, uh, from Glacier Bay Books. I'll talk about this later. Uh, it's a bunch of kind of cool indie manga uh, short stories. And before that, we're gonna we're gonna hit up our queue, talk about what we have been checking out lately. But first up, just a little bit of news that uh, I think is a little old by now, but I wanted to at least address it on here in case people had not heard. We previously talked about this proposed, I guess, merger sort of thing between Funimation and Crunchyroll. It was uh, Sony was thinking of buying Crunchyroll from AT and T, and that did get announced in the the past maybe month or so. So that's uh, that's happening. Sony is uh, is going to own Crunchyroll. More specifically, Crunchyroll is going to be under the Funimation Global Group, which is the the anime arm of Sony that contains Funimation and Aniplex and Madman and a couple other companies. So this is this is some very interesting anime news that I think we we should probably address now that it's a real thing. <laughs> So, like, the important thing is that fans win, and that's it. Oh, that's what they said. That's right. That's it. That's all, that, that's all they really said. <laughs> so, to, to address that part directly, fans will win, I think, in a sense, like, in a temporary way, right? Like, with this kind of consolidation, there's, there are good temporary effects for consumers, right? Like, you'll probably, it'll probably be easier to watch all the anime in one place or with one kind of shared subscription or something. I have no insider knowledge of like what that is going to look like business-wise, but um, whatever it is, that'll probably make it easier. Of course, though, less competition means possibly, who knows, right? Maybe uh, higher subscription costs. It could mean maybe, you know, when we're talking about these original shows that are getting made, it, it could result in more conservative choices about what stuff to fund and release yeah it could just mean uh fate adaptations for the next 10 years <laughs> because in a sense they sort of own that as well yeah they own yeah because with fate they don't actually own it right but but it's just that anaplex like is the trusted partner for fate is, products yeah, it's like it's very heavily uh involved yeah it's it's not great i gotta say i'm not too pleased about this i i liked I like this industry when it's uh we talked about this before when when it's got some slightly smaller companies kind of 
duking it out with each other. And uh, this is just, you know, part of that larger story of media consolidation. And I don't like the anime industry being this consolidated and under the control of, you know, basically these two big companies between Sony and Netflix at this point, mm, right? It only took about like 10-ish years, I think, right? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big shift, right? We went from relatively still kind of small scale about 10 years ago, right? You had like, you know, we had like these these anime companies, you know, Funimation, Crunchyroll, but they were largely kind of, you know, independent, right? They, they were doing their own thing. And then within 10 years, just all these, these different buyouts from Sony and AT&T and everybody resulting in this. It's like uh, Justin Timberlake just walked up to you and was all like, you know what's cooler than $1 million? Uh, billions and billions of dollars in whatever, <laughs> whatever nonsense this is actually worth. Um, yeah, anime is now like, I guess, multi-billion dollar industry, apparently. Maybe. It might all just be like an illusion, right? Because it might not actually be... It's also interesting because I think it shows kind of what these two companies care about. Like, clearly, AT&T... <laughs> just didn't know what to like they didn't th- who knows if they had a plan for Crunchyroll that like didn't work or whether they didn't like they like didn't know what to do uh but whatever it is like AT&T was not valuing that the way that Sony was right Sony was willing to buy them Sony wants to do something with them uh and AT&T after you know trying to integrate them in some form uh I I think because they have a lot of debts they were like well we gotta let something go so gonna be crunchyroll <laughs> yeah goodbye all the uh soft power i think yeah whatever whatever that's worth all the what power all the all the soft power all the soft power is just gone uh now there's just regular power regular old money power um, <laughs> um will it be interesting i don't really think so i think things are just gonna be more expensive later on as time goes on yeah i mean that's the trick with any subscription service right is you like get people in, then you raise the prices. It's what Netflix did. It's not something that in particular makes Sony less trustworthy. You know, I'm not like more suspicious of them than anybody. It's just uh, if you're one of these people running these companies, that's what you're going to do, right? You're going to like try to get as much of a monopoly as possible and then raise prices. What if we started like making it cool to sell like limited edition Blu-rays at $90 a pop with like two episodes on them, maybe three? Oh, I, I'm a hoping they're not stupid enough to try to like just do that. Aniplex has been flirting that with that idea for a while now. That's that's Aniplex, but but this is different, right? I mean, it's not all the same big blob. Like it's still Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll isn't like just dissolved into Aniplex and and still Funimation, right? Like, and they are under Sony, and I think Sony might have. Who knows if uh, Sony at a higher level probably doesn't care, right, about like the details of that. But I'm hoping that there's influence from uh, people who know the U.S. anime industry at Funimation and Crunchyroll that will prevent anything weird like that from happening. <laughs> so with that out of the way, let's uh, let's talk about our queue. I think I'm going to start because I've got the review this episode. Lately, I I've been kind of trying to cram a few games from last year because I was trying to you know see if any things were, were going to be good candidates for our staff picks which by the way are just went up on the site by the time this is out they will all be out including our final one which is uh, a patreon exclusive uh, so we've got our list of favorite anime manga and games as well as on patreon our list of other stuff movies music etc uh for you to check out if you want to find some some things you missed in 2020 so one of the things i was playing was star wars squadrons uh, which sort of felt obligated to play in part because it is written by uh, the lead writer of the game is Mitch Dyer, 
my former co-host from the Any Gamers podcast. So shout out to Mitch. Yeah, you're finally playing one like kind of close to release date. I don't know if you played the other one. I played the other one, but it took me a while to get to it. That was uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, yeah, so that's the that's the campaign mode. The thing about Squadrons, though, is like Battlefront 2, it really is a multiplayer game, more or less, right? I mean, they, they have campaigns attached to them. But the one of the criticisms a lot of people have of the Squadrons multiplayer is it's, it's pretty short, and it's basically just a tutorial. It's like a kind of glorified tutorial with, with some story attached for how to play the multiplayer. <laughs> like a Call of Duty. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think story-wise, it's got some interesting bits. It's really not as in-depth as I like it to be, but it you know the, it's got some some fun characters that you get to meet that I wish had a more fully fleshed-out story. Like your main character doesn't have dialogue; they're just a sort of you know uh, anime audience insert protagonist kind of thing. Uh, and you you can even yeah, I mean whatever you're like changing their name and face and everything, and there's there's not like an, any RPG thing to it right you're not like making choices and creating a character they they just sort of stand in the scenes and characters talk at them and then you go do the missions uh but the characters are cool i kind of wish it had more of an in-depth story surrounding all these characters and the premise is that you do you play on both the side of the uh the empire and the new republic it takes place after return of the jedi so it's like as the empire is losing the war They've really gone whole hog on just like digging in further and further into the Star Wars like timeline. Well, I mean, they've been doing that forever, right? With all the expanded universe stuff. Yeah, but like now I think it's like more uh, like I see it everywhere. It's not like I have to go look for Star Wars stuff like Mm. 20 years ago. Now it's like, oh, here's here's a a big like triple A end of year title, which is like using the Star Wars license with the confidence of putting in a storyline that is directly attached to the original trilogy yeah that's true so the i mean that premise is actually kind of neat just in terms of the story i i I enjoyed that you get to kind of see you get to see these two rival squadrons and like you play in both of them and get to know the, the the characters in both squadrons uh which is like something i think we you don't often get to see in a lot of the big mainstream star wars stuff like the movies like you don't you don't really like get to know the people in the empire and that's partially because star wars is uh star wars's politics are very simplistic and there's really not much you can do with the empire they're just they're just bad right <laughs> like there's, there's not a lot of nuance there but i think it it actually does a pretty good job the the imperial characters are interesting cuz they're they're bad guys but they're bad guys with like stories about why they're bad guys and why they believe what they do which is kind of cool uh, but the real thing about this that is fun is the multiplayer. I got to say, I didn't love the the single player very much. And uh, I tried a bit of the online multiplayer having a lot of lag on PS4. So that's keeping me from playing too much of it. But the uh, it, it's pretty neat. It's like a squad based, so very flight simmy, um, you know, dog fighting kind of thing. So very different from like if you played Rogue Squadron on, I don't remember, it was on a bunch of different consoles, but I played a few of those games. This is very different. This is like Rogue Squadron is more, I don't know, like video gamey. It's hard to describe what I'm talking about. It's not a, not like a flight sim. It's like you know, press forward to go forward. Very very simple. Yeah, I was I was like joking around with you. Where it's like no, nah, like Rogue Squadron is like the real thing. But that's just because I really like Rogue Squadron. Uh, that was like the first game I had on N64. But this seems like a whole other thing. 
Yeah, this is like you're not you like the the best way to describe it is when you're you're thinking of like video game controls. You know, press forward on the left analog stick to move forward. Pretty standard, right? And then maybe you, if you're in a flying game, maybe you use the right stick to like change your direction. Uh, in this, the left stick, and you can remap everything. The left stick is your throttle, and so you just kind of flick it every now and then to speed up or slow down. But then you let go of it, and you just use the right stick to like to do all your your turning and then you also can go like left and right on the left stick to do um that lets you roll so you have like you know full six degrees of freedom and everything and yeah it's, it's like a flight sim i mean you have to really get used to controlling the throttle and like being much more precise about things and kind of keeping track of your momentum and, and all that kind of stuff uh, and the thing that i really like is you are doing a bunch of powering up and down all of your ship systems. So you're like, you know, send all power to engines, send all power to, to lasers. It's it's kind of like uh, like FTL, right? Now I'm just imagining that bit in like episode one in reverse where it's like Anakin takes off in the in that Naboo ship. But it's like you trying to like not fire up uh, the base like the moment that you land because you don't know where everything is. Yeah, uh, it's well. That's actually part of it too, because it's got a it's got a very neat minimal UI where most of your UI is in the ship cockpit because it's all it's first person compared to Rogue Squadron games, which I guess they some of them might have had first person options, but I think a lot of them were were third person. Uh, what it's more like is X Wing versus Tie Fighter, which I haven't played, but I've seen videos of. I know a lot of people have fond memories of those games. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very difficult very very high learning curve because you got to like learn all these systems uh, and i you know get murdered all the time in multiplayer but there are points where it feels very cool because like you know like you know you play hard games when you figure out something with a a big learning curve it, it's very satisfying so i've had like i think i'll just mention before i move on to to your thing in the queue here the Probably the highlight for me in multiplayer was a dogfight that I didn't even win, but it just felt very cool where we're in like some space station thing and like there's kind of this column in the center and I'm, I was in like a TIE interceptor or something being chased by an A-wing and I, I was learning how to do like this, this boost drifting thing you can do where you like boost, then you hold down a button and it like cuts the power to the engines and then you, you know, drift and spin around and boost the other direction. And, um... I just, you know, kind of like saw this guy on my tail and then targeted him and like boost drifted and turned around and then basically like had him targeted while he's rounding the corner of the of the pillar. And then we just had this dogfight that was us going around the pillar trying to catch each other when we turned the corner, like back and forth. And it was very, very cool. <laughs> Man, never you, you never struck me as like a sim guy. I, I'm not typically into I'm not typically into flight sims, but I was kind of interested just because it's Star Wars. Mitch worked on it. It was relatively cheap. It's not a full sixty dollars game. I got it for like twenty four bucks in a PSN sale. Yeah, we had a we had like a dumb like cheap Steam sale uh, at the end of the year, and I saw that game already going for like hovering around twenty dollars. Yeah, but it started at like it was like forty. Yeah, so like well, they're even they're cutting it even down. They're cutting it down even further. Yeah, and it do- and it also doesn't have uh they they were very it's an EA game, but they're very deliberate about not having. Uh, I think any I forget what it was they, they took some kind of stand on like it they're not doing like the Battlefront 2 thing where it's you know you just buy a platform and then spend all your money on like loot boxes there's no loot boxes or anything like that or what, what are those called gotcha <laughs> 
yeah the gotcha like there's no gotcha in it it's it's very straightforward you get the game and i you might be able to like buy cosmetic upgrades but like most of the stuff you just unlock in game by playing it i don't know if they've gotten like a lot of success out of it it really seems like there's just a handful of games that can make that sort of thing work and not get people to like hate the developers for it yeah and ea has obviously a very bad track record doing that kind of stuff yeah they had like the worst track record and then they like literally had to like backpedal on all that stuff and say like we're not going to be doing that right now <laughs> i'm gonna stop for a little bit and then when you stop paying attention we'll just go back to doing it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah i'd like to play more of this multiplayer so i, I mean who knows if you're in the anti gamers discord let me know if you want to if you want to play and if you're not you should join the discord if you want to have a star war with evan minto yeah you're also you're always playing games what's your what game are you well, playing? well i'm engaged in a different kind of war i'm i'm engaged in a fantastical war some might even say it's like the final fantastical war that we have in video games although it's not really final because there's like gonna be 16 of them now i'm playing final fantasy 4 they keep on making them what's up with that I'm gonna keep on playing right, it's time to do it time to do the final fantasy bit let's go final fantasy bit <laughs> oh I'm not doing I'm not doing a bit. I got to I got to do my cue. I got to do I got to talk about Final Fantasy. So which one is this you're playing? This is 4 uh on the Super Nintendo in America like 30 years ago. I think this one was 2, Final Fantasy 2 on Super Nintendo. So if you see the one of those carts. Yeah, but I mean they fixed all of it now. I think sort of like it doesn't really matter anymore. There's no like chronological order in doing these things because they're all unrelated. Um, so I played Dragon Quest 3 to completion at the end of the year, uh, but I felt like I was in the mood for an early 90s RPG still, uh, so I picked up Final Fantasy 4, and there's like a million versions of this game. So the one that I'm playing is the PSP version, which I think is the one that's closest to the original, which is redone 2D sprites in PSP widescreen. It looks like a really fancy RPG Maker game. Uh, it's not. It's not like super beautiful or, or anything, but that's just the nature of this game. It's like you walk in and you are immediately presented with what you've paid for, and what you've paid for is like a really primitive uh, entry into what Final Fantasy would become by like six and seven. <laughs> And I'm starting to understand, like, I'm by the end point of the game. And now I'm starting to understand, like, why people, like, really cite 4 as the beginning of it all, in a sense. Because, like, 1, 2, and 3 are kind of, like, stock standard RPGs. Uh, 3 began to have, like, personalities for party members. But 4 is most definitely, like, a linear storyline where you're dragged around by the nose doing objectives and things in an RPG. Final Fantasy IV is about uh, a Dark Knight, not uh, not Batman, but literally like the class Dark Knight. They call him Dark Knight. It's a bit like it's a bit weird because uh, you understand like Dark Knight is a class, but this time like the Dark Knight is literally like somebody super important and special, and you begin to play as him, and you're in command of like a really brutal dictator who is sort of behaving kind of erratically, just like steamrolling a bunch of other uh, territories and things get out of control and you eventually raise a village. So you are actually the instigator of violence. Whoa. It's pretty crazy, yeah. So seeing all this, because you're the hero, you decide to throw down your arms and become a good guy. And there's like a whole journey into becoming a good guy. And I think that is at the core of Final Fantasy IV, where... Like, you can be, like, a bastard cop, but also, like, through tremendous trials, like, maybe, 
maybe they will like consider you less of a bastard by the end of it maybe what i really like is like that there's a whole town dedicated to just hating you <laughs> for a while because uh, they find out like who you are and all that sort of thing so even when you convert over if like from being a dark knight to a paladin which is like the good dark knight class like the inverse of it uh people in that town still hate you <laughs> and your party members like uh they're kind of simple there's not a whole lot going on. I mean, there are things going on in them, but it's not like the sort of death you might expect in a later Final Fantasy. But there's definitely a lot of mm, signs of characters growing and changing their opinions on, of you over time. You know how like writing is, right? In like in like a video game, you like trip a certain flag, you like you beat a certain dungeon, and then like, well, okay, so like everybody is like on my side now. Like I'm a cool guy now. Um it's a, uh, it's, it's, weird. I wouldn't say like I love Final Fantasy IV at this point. I'm very close to finishing it. Uh, I think that there is a bit of a uh, like tone whiplash occurring because party members will die, they'll come back, they'll die again, and then they'll come back. And it's like, it's hard to get a grasp of like who I should be focusing on because I couldn't <laughs> figure out who was going to die and who was actually going to live to the end. This sounds pretty cool. The the whole thing about being a villain, you know, be, being a, a bastard cop who tries to turn it around. That like is not what I would expect from from just, you know, from the from outside. I've not really played Final Fantasy games from a especially a Final Fantasy game from that era. Yeah, it just seems before its time yeah, a little which bit. It came out in 1991. Yeah, like mm. I think uh I think a lot that 4 has done. Yeah, it does deserve credit for being like the the pioneer for a lot of things that like people give credit to six and seven like people remember or those. even just a lot of a lot of more modern games that are about kind of um you know questioning the morality of what you're doing in a game right yeah i mean especially because a lot of these games were just like oh beat the demon lord i mean no no shade to dragon quest because dragon quest i feel like i gotta do a whole episode on dragon quest 3 because that game blew my mind it is incredible it really deserves everything that's been said about it that's good uh, but Right now, in my queue is to finish Final Fantasy IV. It gets really hard at the end. It's like, it's piss easy forever. And then there's just that spike in difficulty that you don't expect. How can, how can people play this? Like, if someone was interested in playing it right now. Okay, so there are... There's a bad port of it on Steam. Like, all, like, the old Square Enix RPGs have really bad ports on Steam. Uh, they're kind of cheap. Like, so just pick them up on sale. But you can only play the 3D one, I believe. I don't think you can play the 2D one. You'd have to pick up a, a copy of the PSP game used. I think it might be on PSN. Like, you could probably download it digitally. I don't know if the PSN is still active. Oh, the PSN for PSP, not on PS4 or PS5. I mean, you can buy them through, like, PS4 and then, like, load up your PS3 and it's in your account. It's weird. I don't know. Right, right, right. Eh, that's Yeah, they were trying to, like, get rid of, like, PS3 and Vita stuff. Uh, just because like five is out now, so you know how it went with the the Wii Shop channel. But I would probably recommend this one. Like uh, I've seen some of the work that they did on the 3D remake, which was on DS first. So it's got like that primitive DS 3D. I mean, in either case, it's like it's a really simple RPG. It's a uh, there hasn't been like a FF7 remake like extremely <laughs> <laughs> extremely high levels of production it's 
really interesting to like see like Square Enix do what feels like a very mid-tier uh, sort of job on a game that people really love. I think people would like appreciate it more if it was like like the way that they remembered it, but just you know better. You know, just two D but better. And I think the closest that they got to that was this PSP remaster in a way but there's still there's still a lot of it which is very much like oh this is the conventions of the early 90s all right that's our cue time to move on to the review for this episode i'm reviewing try this one more time gleolia 2 so let's let's do some backstory on what the heck what this the thing heck is, is this you don't read this sort of thing yeah i only kind of I just happened to see some people tweeting about it and, you know, bought it on a whim. And I'm very glad I did. It made it onto my staff picks list for the year. Uh, but unfortunately, I missed Gleolia 1. So I'm reviewing Gleolia 2. And before you ask, you do not have to read Gleolia 1 to understand Gleolia 2. Because it's an anthology, right? So every That's right. chapter in it is just another story. Mm-hmm. So this is a case where I didn't need to pull an Evan Minto because... You can pull an Evan Minto like a bunch of times in one book just start a whole other manga like you know you finish one and then wow next page has a whole other one so this is an english language anthology of uh it's a whole bunch of different kinds of manga but generally speaking we're talking about what we might call indie manga things that are uh, uh, either they're published by small publishers or they're self-published uh you know what we'd call doujin manga or in some cases published by kind of like larger publishers that are still kind of on the indie side that are, you know, smaller than the the big guys. So like Lead is a, a publisher that has at least one thing included in here. And this is published in English and not just published, but like made in English because this, this is an English only anthology, right? This anthology does not exist in Japan. Uh, it's made by a company called Glacier Bay Books that makes that puts out this kind of stuff uh, digitally and in print. And it's a really, really nice release. It's a uh, Risograph printed, which I know a little bit about because I have a friend who's like big into Risograph stuff. Uh, but I don't know enough about it to give a really intelligent description of that. It's just, it's like a Japanese-made kind of uh, printer that that like people are really into nowadays because it was this kind of like limited thing that didn't like super catch on as the dominant way of printing stuff. <laughs> Yeah, like there's a very distinct difference between our manga books and the ones that are in Japan. Yeah, but do they use? Actually, I don't. I don't know if they use Risograph a lot in Japan. See, this is the part. I this is not a review of Risograph printers. That's not a <laughs> not the thing that I am an expert on here. But uh, anyway, the the release is very very nice and uh, has a, a nice introduction written by the folks at Glacier Bay. So, what is inside of this book? It is a bunch of totally unrelated uh short manga stories some of them are written by like there's a few authors who have multiple pieces in the uh in the anthology they're split up roughly by theme so there's a i think some of the early ones are about like or some part of it is you know things vaguely related to dreams right and and they're kind of like kind of chunked like that so there's a, a a bit of a like thematic through line i'd say generally just talking about the anthology as a whole, it's like, this isn't something that I would describe as being like, it's got everything in it. You know what I mean? It's not like a, just a, a grab bag of different subject matter. It, it's largely like a lot of it is kind of quiet, emotional stuff. And a few of them are slightly kind of, you know, absurd comedy things. And some of them have like a mix of that, right? Kind of like wry comedy about some kind of anxiety or something. So it's like a curated selection, not really just like, oh, I like this, just throw it in. 
Right. It's not just like, here's some cool stuff and, you know, you get a, a magical girl manga or something. Like, it's it's all... It's it's much closer, actually, to, like, indie comics in the U.S., which is what I one of the things I find interesting about it. Like, the subject matter is not very... It's not, like, genre fiction, more or less, right? Like, that's what we're kind of used to in anime, is, like, so much of it is very specific, you know, fantasy, science fiction, or some combination. Um, the other thing that's great about it, and also relates to what I was saying about it being similar to, kind of, indie comics in the U.S., is that the art styles are super varied. There are a few things that have a more traditional anime or manga inspired art style. I say inspired and it's all manga, but like popular manga, right? Like things that look like, like the manga that we all read. Uh, but a lot of them are much more like different looking. Like one of, one of the ones I really like is called Moondog by Nakayama Nozomi. And, uh, that one is like, all the main character is a, is drawn as like a black, dog kind of like like a humanoid dog like a furry but it's very furry simplistic dog. not he doesn't not in a furry style but yeah it's like a humanoid dog and it's just drawn very simply as this kind of like noodly all black body with like you know dot eyes or whatever so like this very kind of simplistic art style that doesn't look anything like you know the the style that we're used to in manga uh there is a character who shows up in there that has it looks a little more like a not like a furry, but maybe like a halfway point between a furry and a, uh, and a, like a, what would that be? K- kimono Mimi character kind of thing. Like a, like a dog girl, <laughs> like a dog girl, dog girl. You know what I mean? Like uh, what's like her a name? What's, you know? what's Korone? 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 Korosan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can't believe you like read an indie comic about my, uh, content creation hero, Inugami Korone. Yeah. Your waifu. Not my mm-hmm. waifu. Oh, okay. It's just better to admit than to be my wife. Yeah, so there like some of some of these are are really kind of sweet. There's a there's a nice one called Days by the artist named Ina that is just like this is very indicative of the kind of stuff you'll see, you'll see in this book. It's it's just a bunch of kind of like kind of slightly funny slices of life from a young couple and their kid and it it's I I think it's probably autobiographical and it's just like uh you know driving and it's just like a little funny thing of them driving and teasing each other or something like watching a movie together right and each one is i think just a single page with or maybe two pages with like a little caption and it's just like up oh, here's a little funny anecdote about our day and like here's the next one i might right? have seen something like that online but in japanese the, th- the thing is like there's so much text in some of these comics it's like mm-hmm hard to get the story out yeah i mean that that is a isn't that a popular thing on like pixiv and stuff right people do these i mean people do it also in english in the english comics world right these like daily comics where they just do little kind of illustrations of their day i have a friend who posts she's a comic artist she posts it on like instagram she does single panel comics about like uh what happened today it's like sometimes it's just hard to make the distinction like what's a manga what's like a like a web comic what's a web tune you know it's like different uh, there's just like limitate not limitations, but just like an idea of what it's supposed to be physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think so, some of these are digital, uh, like their their primary distribution, I think, was digital, uh, but they've had like print releases. Um, and you mentioned that there's like a big, you know, self-publishing scene, or I think you alluded to it before uh, in Japan, right? And like that that enables people to put out all sorts of stuff. Um, that, you know, usually they'll sell at like Komiket or at, uh, Komiket, I guess 
this is this is an interesting context here, right? And I don't know like a ton about this scene, but Komiket is more like derivative works, right? Like it's more common. It can be, but some people do make like original works, although they know it's harder to sell somebody on something original unless they know you as the artist from your yeah, derivative I've bought, works. Yeah, I've bought original works at Komiket, but it was it's definitely like dominated by derivative works. Uh, but what is it? Komitia is the one that's like all original, I think. Is that the re- the one I'm thinking of? Or mostly original? I'm forgetting which one. There, there is a, there's a, someone in the audience will know. There are events in Japan that are original content only, right? And like those are, my understanding, haven't been to them, uh, more like a zine fest or something like, you know, just like people doing their own weird stuff, like what we get in Glaeolia, like stuff that doesn't necessarily match the, the traditional anime manga style. <laughs> Um, and some of these were also published in magazines that, that focus in this stuff. So uh, there are some selections here that, that have been published in Garo, which is like the one that people are more likely to have heard of because it's been around since like the 60s or, or earlier. It's like the most famous. Um, or Actually, I think, I think Garo is gone now. I could be wrong. Um, but it, it was around for a while. And it's like the most famous, you know, kind of counterculture independent manga magazine. Uh, also ones from things I have not heard of called Utopia, Grass, and one called Suika Toka no Tane. Um, it's a whole world of this stuff that I find really interesting. Like, it just, it doesn't make it here, right? Like, most of the time, we don't see this stuff. Yeah, so, like, you were telling me it's going to be a bit hard to read the creators of the work because they just don't have other work over here. Right, I mean, most of the ones, and this is what makes this so cool and why I highly recommend this thing to people, is like most of these artists are making their English debut in Glaeolia too. And some of them, it's, you know, the second time they've been published in English and the first time was Glaeolia 1. <laughs> so like they're really <laughs> tracking down people who are have not made it out of the the Japanese scene. Yeah, because a lot of them don't even have serializations either. They just post on Twitter or Pixiv or right, where or have they, you. Or they self-print something or they you know maybe it's in a magazine in japan but that stuff usually doesn't sell very well and i think this idea of like this this high quality anthology right in very nice print like it's kind of designed for collectors uh it's a pretty good idea because like it's a way of bringing this stuff over for an audience that will buy it but is you know we don't have that kind of scene of well we have that scene for indie comics in english but not for like translated comics right like getting stuff from japan like it kind of just owns as an opportunity to get your thing published even if it's gonna be in a language that maybe you don't read but yeah this is a good way of doing it it's like a a way of selling this stuff to people by selling an anthology that's kind of like all right we curated stuff from japan and like you know even if you haven't heard of these people you can buy it based on the idea that this anthology is cool right like the idea of getting all this stuff in one place is cool so I want to run down a few of the ones. So I, I mentioned some of them already, but some of the ones that I really like, because that's probably the best way to, to talk about this beyond just like the broad talking about the anthology. Uh, there's a great one called Family Restaurant that according to the introduction uh, is based on, or it's a it's a selection from an ongoing story. That one's, that's kind of interesting. So it's like a larger story created by this artist, uh, Miki Yamamoto. And it's like just a little episode of it. So that I think the story is about like the, this, uh, woman who like is traveling around and it's just like a little little moment that she has in this this one location i I think it takes place in the u.s seems like it based on everything that's in it and which is i think part of the pun in the name because it's like family we don't have family restaurants right um but it basically takes place in like a diner and it's about a little girl whose mom is kind of 
like it's like her parents are either divorced or separated or about to separate right and they're like she's kind of the mom is not paying attention to her and she's just kind of crawling around messing around in the diner and then the main character of this larger story i guess uh kind of just like is, is this like a cool lady with big frizzy hair wearing sunglasses and she's just like basically kidnaps this kid and it's just like hey let's go like hang out and just like i'll be your cool aunt for the day oh wow kidnapping a child cool aunt. yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but it's it's done very it's very sweet it's it's like you know giving her this kind of mother figure that she doesn't have and it's it ends very nicely um and it's it's like a really sweet fun story that you know has this kind of heartwarming little like like giving this kid a, a bit of like something she doesn't have right uh and like many of these it's got like a super interesting art style it's it's all like very very high contrast black and white uh it seems almost like it's drawn with like sharpie or something it's 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 got that very kind of scribbly look to it it's a lot of fun uh and of course because it's me uh there's a hamburger in it so ah there we go that's the real reason why you <laughs> like it so much <laughs> uh, i mentioned moondog and days which are really good um there's a uh, one i i wanted to mention called from far away there's a few by this author uh mori masayuki that are very they're often kind of brief they're done in this like very i'd say almost kind of precise almost storybook looking style uh and it's it's just like a girl like a lot of these are like this like a little girl walking home from school kind of like has this slightly strange emotional experience and it's just trying to express that so there's a lot of there's a few things that are kind of like that in the anthology that i really like that are just like just a kind of weird feeling someone had that they're trying to put down on paper and uh one of the ones that i i wasn't super into it story-wise but the art is really interesting is called lisa's left hand by kenya oba and it's interesting because this is the only one or one of the only ones that has like a more traditional anime art style. And it's a, a, a pretty good recreation of like a, like a Ghibli esque style. It's very, very delicate looking. Uh, the character designs are really nice. So yeah, that's, that's kind of like a, a summary of some of the stuff in here. Uh, it's, it's a little hard to kind of like do this kind of big full review of an anthology, right? It's kind of just like, well, I, I read it and I, I found it interesting. There's a lot of like interesting little bits in it. I think the value is probably going to be just in the idea of picking up an anthology of stuff that you really wouldn't be getting in English very easily. That's the that's the value. It's it's like this isn't stuff I necessarily would have picked up, right? And and there's some of them that didn't totally hit for me. That's the way an anthology works. But the kind of people who enjoy this kind of thing are, are you know people who have a, I think a similar taste to me. Where like I I really like things where I can get a kind of grab bag of different creative ideas and get and I don't have to kind of commit to like sitting through the whole you know like a long version of it so you know you just kind of like all right quick hits like give me what you got right and you get these like really interesting ideas some of them work great some of them don't but you're kind of you can appreciate like well that was a cool attempt you know I see what you were going for there this is why I like open mics same kind of idea so yeah I would highly recommend this this is it's a great anthology and uh Glacier Bay will be releasing Glaeolia 1 digitally and they're expecting to release that in early February. So I'm going to pick that up. I recommend people grab that. And if you can, get this print release if you if you want to have it on your shelf because it's it's a really nice release. And I'm happy to see like this stuff existing, right? Like publish that that we have publishers putting out things like this. Yeah, it's a risky it's a risky sort of move to make. It's not like Demon Slayer. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
Well, I think it's uh, it's one more indication of where like it, it does feel like the the anime and manga market has been growing for a while, and like the more that it grows, you know, in the in the, in the spotlight parts that we see, things like Demon Slayer or whatever, right? Things that are just really I'm talking about kind of in the U.S. So maybe Demon Slayer is not out here yet, right? But like in the uh, we you know the big stuff, we see the big stuff. We see like you know My Hero or whatever these things that are like mega popular. But like that kind of also opens up space for more things that are a little off the beaten path, right? I think like light novels have benefited a lot from like popularity of anime and manga. Can't find the time to read all these light novels anymore. There's so many now, right? And like it, it, it feels like that's kind of like a, you know, rising tide thing where like the more that these big tentpole things are popular, the more room it makes, the more audience it makes for all these other things. So it feels like that's like a good place here where now there's a few publishers putting out stuff like this like these kind of indie manga collections or indie manga like just individual releases like finally some good news about anime and manga like it just seems like it all is going to become one consolidated thing but no apparently it's very good that like demon slayer or boruto or whatever is super popular yeah it's actually (laughs) it's funny you mentioned that because yeah like in contrast to what we talked about at the top of the show right like the consolidation of media well we also get neat stuff like this that's the opposite of that that is eventually people are going to want something new right something that's they can't really just get from the uh shonen jump app yeah exactly i mean no like that's it's cool right but at the same time sometimes you just want like a quiet introspective like story about being a single mom or something in manga oh i was also just going to mention there was another indie manga i think we might have talked about it on the show i definitely wrote a review on any gamers that was just like one of my previous experiences with this kind of thing which was called what was it i think the author called herself messy ol tokyo and i forget what the what the manga was called it's like a big mess too another thing where i bought the second one and didn't buy the first one uh but that was like a like a really interesting one that was just you know very funny autobiographical stories written in english by a japanese office lady who is just like kind of riffing on (laughs) uh, being you know sad and working an office job and it was very entertaining and kind of i'm sure very cathartic for her but also very very kind of kind of cathartic to read (laughs) And like, there's lots of stuff like that, that I, I love for people to be able to read more of and for me to be able to read more of, cause I too struggle to read that stuff in Japanese. <laughs> we need, we need like exposure, like a big, uh, print, re- well, not even like big print release, but just like a print release. First of all, that's like, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big deal. I think for people that might not be expecting things to get outside of like Twitter or Pixiv or wherever they post. Yeah. Yeah. And to get outside of Japanese language too. So very cool. I think that's it for the show uh for the main discussion i guess we do have one question one question why why did we get this question i think it's pretty obvious yeah we got a question out of nowhere which you are welcome to do like you don't have to only ask us questions about what we're talking about on the next show you can just uh ask us about anything that you want the answer to good chance we will read it like we're gonna read this question (laughs) so this is a question from Vinny av agc friend of the show was on the Bander Book episode last year with me. Vinny wants to know, who's the Wario and Waluigi of Annie Gamers? I mean, proportionally, I'm Wario, and proportionally, you are Waluigi. It feels like this one's pretty easy. It feels like you're <laughs> Wario and I'm Waluigi. Although I feel like you have more of a Wario-ish personality. And Is that true? Why am I... Why? All right, all right, defend this. Why am I... Why do I have a Wario personality? Uh... 
Well, if you've ever played WarioWare uh, micro games, micro mini games or whatever it was called, you would be aware that Wario uh, decides like, hey, if this Mario dude can like make his games, then I can make my own games. So I'm going to make one billion games. So you have, uh, you have that entrepreneurial spirit to create one million podcasts. What a save. David says, I'm Wario, a disgusting man who attacks people with farts in <laughs> Super Smash Brothers, and then defends it by saying, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, and I uh, go out and do things. Very good save. <laughs> well, like, conversely, I don't go out and do things, so I'm a Waluigi. Yeah, you don't even put in the effort to fight in Super Smash Brothers. I really don't. <laughs> You show up occasionally when they summon you with an assist trophy. I'm uh, I'm the I'm a dead fish out there in uh, in Smash. We haven't considered whether anyone else on the team counts as the Wario or Waluigi. Um, I think uh, well, like Pat and Ink would probably have to duke it out for the Yoshi for carrying the website on their back. <laughs> well, we already answered that part right i mean there was the oh i guess this was a response to i hadn't thought about this this is a response to our last episode where we answered who is the mario right i think i said i was the yoshi but i realize at this point i don't want that responsibility we can't do wario and waluigi in addition to last episode because we ran out like we'd run out of people right <laughs> there's like too many mario characters and not enough anti-gamer staff members yeah but of the two of us i'm gonna say i'm going with the the physical one so i'm just gonna say david is wario and I'm Waluigi. If there was a, a cosplay like couple, yeah, we, we're Wario and Waluigi. That's us. I don't even have my own game. That's messed Feel up. Feel free to draw that, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Send that in. We need a we need a Waluigi land. Damn, dude. Waluigi land. I would play that. Yeah. yeah. Give me a Waluigi game. I would play the shit out of a Waluigi game. I don't even care what genre it is. Don't put Waluigi in Smash, but give him a game. How about that? Yeah. Yep. Super Wario, Super Waluigi Brothers, and it's just him playing. Actually, I think I, I made that game. I made that joke Pico 8 game that's just Waluigi punching all of the Smash characters because he's mad that he's not in Smash. Gotta make a, we gotta make a better, we gotta make a better, bigger, like just more wah kind of game. That's right. That's it. That is our last uh, question of the show. Before we head out and uh, wrap up this episode, you can read articles from me on Anime News Network, haven't written there in a while, and from both of us on Otaku USA Magazine. You have anything recently you want to shout out on there? Um, yeah, I read this jazz manga omnibus thing called Blue Giant, which is pretty wild. It's pretty wild because it's like, this is the jazz thing that I wanted after complaining about Kids on the Slope for years. Oh, man. I, well, who's... Okay, who who put that out? Like, how do I get that? That That's sounds very cool. That's a 70s. Okay, okay. I think it comes out this month, actually. Yeah, I got to look into that then. And uh, very occasional anime burger posts on animeburgertime.tumblr.com. That panel will probably come back this year in virtual form once again for one of these virtual cons. I wrapped up season two of my His Dark Materials companion podcast, Shadow Particles. Uh, David, I know, is reading one of the books. Yeah, I couldn't get so on the I'm... podcast because I didn't finish the book, Womp Womp. <laughs> <laughs> he is pulling an Evan Minto. It's really good. I've got plenty of time it. until season three. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be caught up. Well, definitely season three is coming out. Hopefully it comes out next year. 
David is streaming video games every Saturday night at twitch.tv slash ubusmallbean. What are you playing? Me and Uncle Nax are like at the halfway point in Persona 4, so we've got like another year of doing this. Damn. All right. The Persona Show once again. We have a Patreon. Support us on patreon.com slash anygamers to get into the priority question list and access bonus articles and podcasts, including David's light novel show, The Anygamers Book Club, that he does with Inaki. And uh, we have an episode we recorded that uh, I'll keep under wraps for now, but if you're a patron, you'll see it in the feed soon. It is a lot of fun. We reviewed uh, yet another, yet another uh, let's say, classic anime. Classics. Classics of anime, <laughs> yeah. And, of course, you can force us to watch things via the golden ticket benefit as well as the uh, the Mystery Box of Misery column that we started up recently. That's been fun. I think Inaki is up next. He's going to have his column out soon. We give a shout-out to all of our new patrons, so thank you so much to our uh, our new patron, Maxwell Vaughn. Appreciate the support on Patreon. Uh, that is, once again, patreon.com slash anygamers. And uh, I, I want to stop here and, and give a big thank you, not just to Maxwell, but to all of our patrons from uh, this past year. We have seen a pretty big growth in the Patreon, which has been awesome. And this year in particular, the, the money from the Patreon enabled us to hire pat as an editor which has been a huge load off my shoulders and i think has has helped kind of smooth out the release process for the podcast and also to like just pay our contributors in general for the work that everybody does which has been like a big goal of mine you know we've been doing this stuff volunteer and it everybody puts in a lot of work and and i feel like people you know i mean i feel like people deserve to be paid for the work they do which is not a controversial statement (laughs) Man, if we like told people like you could get paid for anime blogging like ten years ago, that would have not made any sense. Yeah, well, people were doing A and N and stuff. People were getting paid right to write about anime and magazines and stuff. But yeah, like I guess blogging, <laughs> podcasting, having a, having a WordPress. We have a WordPress. It's called AnnieGamers.com. It's yeah, well, not a WordPress, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we we just really appreciate everyone's support. Uh, and, and, you know, hanging out in the discord and just building the, the community that we've got, which, you know, I think is something I'm, I'm especially as we look back on the year in the past few years, um, just very appreciative that we, we've got a community now. I think we, we didn't used to have that. And now we've got like folks who we're, we're like internet friends with and we hang out with online and it's cool. Shout out to the, to the discord for being here. Yeah, for sure. Finally, you can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official Anigamers discord on anigamers.com. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions at podcast at anigamers.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm at sign vampvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. David is at sign QX20XX. And there's, of course, at sign Annie Gamers. And on Mastodon, I'm vampedfo at mastodon.social. I am posting on there again, mostly just uh, occasionally when I post my art, I, I cross-post it to Mastodon. And finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And leave us reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, I think, are the ones that have reviews uh, so that more people can find the show. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year once again. And we'll see you all again in about two weeks. It's Wario time. I'm gonna win. Later. Later.